1: And coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey everybody, welcome. You know, uh, you've heard us talk a lot about freedom in this past year. Uh, especially on my show, The Dr. Pat Show, but you also heard Mark and I talk about it. We talked about it in different ways. Um, I started last year looking at freedom as to whether or not we take freedom for advantage. We just take it for granted. We just got it, we just forget about it until we lose something. And so many of us have looked at some of the things that have happened over the past two years and where it hit a nerve, but did it really hit the nerve, a nerve that we can understand? Do we even understand how we got here? Do we understand, do we know what the journey was like before we actually had the use of the word freedom? Do we know what it took to get here? Do we know the story of it or do we just want to forget? Well, We're not going to let you forget today because we want to talk about what a free society is. And joining me here today is somebody that has spent time not just looking and understanding, but is dedicated dedicated passion, purpose to what it means to look at freedom, the enduring importance of the American Revolution. And, you know, I like to say those words, the enduring importance of the American Revolution, because if you think we got here without a revolution, you really need to think again. Joining me here today is Jack Warren, Jr., who is somebody that Doesn't just talk about this, but understands the nuances, understands the steps, understand what happened behind the scenes. Jack, it's so great to have you here today. Look, I know for me, I have looked at the importance of freedom over the past several years. I really have. I've been around the planet like you for a little while, right? You and I, we're not going to talk about our age, but we've been around the planet a little time. And if you've been around the planet for a a little bit of time, and then you had like the parents that I had, like my mom, if you had my mom from the deep South, first child at 12, second child at 13, she helped us understand what freedom is and what it's not. But today I want to talk to you about what happens when we forget. And I think that's why you're bringing this conversation to the forefront about freedom, the enduring importance of the American Revolution. I want to know what sparked you in your heart to get you fired up to bring this conversation to the forefront.
0: Well, I've spent many years in classrooms talking to young people, talking to teachers as well. And what I find is that there is a sort of fading understanding of what freedom is, uh, what the freedoms are that we enjoy, where they came from. Uh, and how therefore to preserve them. Um, And a lot of the chaos in our public dialogue today is is prompted by misunderstanding of what freedom is. Um, A dollar on the desk uh, of any student in America, and they can't give you a good definition of what freedom is. Freedom has become one of those cliche words that we don't really stop to think about. What is it? Uh, What makes it up? And so... In my book, Freedom, the Enduring Importance of the American Revolution, um, I make an argument that the American Revolution is the basis of freedom in the United States uh, and a model for freedom uh, around the world. Not that everyone needs to slavishly copy exactly our laws and constitutional principles and so on. Those will vary from country to country. But uh, I want people to understand what freedom is. Uh, And so I break it down uh, into it's Freedom, like a lot of concepts, has component parts. And what I argue is that freedom is a combination of independence. First, I think, what did the American Revolution achieve? Well, the very first and most important thing it achieved was our national independence, without which the rest doesn't really matter, but also personal independence. Uh, you know, remember the Declaration of Independence. It's really an extraordinary statement. Um, it's a national It's a document uh, declaring our national independence as a country, but but it's a basic statement of principle about the individual as well, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, It's not immediately apparent what the heck that has to do with national independence, with declaring our separation from Britain. But Jefferson and the members of the Continental Congress believed it was important enough uh, to make a statement of principle about what the revolution's purpose was. And it was to achieve uh, not only national independence, but personal independence, autonomy, um, your right to control your life and your destiny. uh, The other components of, of freedom, independence, we said, liberty a term, sometimes we use is synonymous with uh, freedom, but it isn't. Liberty is the absence of restraint, right? Nobody telling you what to do. Uh, The government doesn't tell you what to do. I think of our Bill of Rights, which is really a charter of liberties. And a lot of it is what the government shall not do. Congress will make no law infringing this or doing that. That's those are fundamental statements, mostly about natural rights, uh, rights which inherit in people everywhere, at all times, in all places. Particularly the First Amendment, right? The right to freedom of worship, which we claim is a right everywhere. The right to free speech, which we claim is a right for everyone, everywhere. So, the the, the and the government shall not infringe it, and, and government will help protect us as autonomous individuals from anyone else infringing on that right. Um, so, Liberty is is the absence of restraint, and and we're entitled to to a great deal of liberty. Uh, uh, The revolution also articulated basic principles of freedom, which have shaped our entire history. Uh, Liberty, of course, also equality. But liberty and equality can be at odds with one another, right? It depends on what kind of equality you're talking about. Are you talking about equality before the law? That's a bedrock principle. Um, everyone who goes into court should be treated the same. Everyone who uh, should have the same rights and privileges as as they are articulated in our laws. Um, that is that. That's based on the principle of universal equality. Um, and and you know these are fundamental principles. They all collectively make up the concept of freedom. Um, it's not an easy thing it isn't something that students can are going to really understand in one lesson it's something that has to be they have to be trained to understand just like they have to you know work for years to understand the multiplication tables and then move on to higher mathematics history and the basic principles of american public life not government but public life how we interact with one another whether through government or otherwise deserves our our attention to a degree we're not giving it. And what we're seeing in public life today is the consequence of our neglect in education. It's not not pointing a finger at teachers, most of whom are very dedicated people, but we have to rethink the system because we are not training our young people uh, to understand and appreciate and cherish the freedoms that we've inherited.
1: Well, I mean, not only that, I want to really stay with the conversation before we dive deeper into. You know, I, I'd like to call it a book, but to me, it's really way more than that. It's a powerful, powerful message. It's a reminder for to our forgetter. Um, there have been there have been so many people that attempted to really remind us. Everyone from. <laughs> Elton John to George Michael. George Michael's freedom song was such an it was such a testimony to what you're talking about when it comes to personal freedom. I mean, there are a lot of nuances in that song and that song gets popped at the end of just about every movie that even hints to freedom and starts to win awards. You, you get it? I mean, for MTV Video to give George Michael an award for this song at the end of a movie. Why? Because I don't know that we know, and I'd like you to comment on this. Just because we had a revolution doesn't mean to me the journey is over. And I want to talk with you about that because we're still trying to tease apart what you just said, what that really means. And yet here we sit today with you Reminding us of how important that fight was. I mean, it's almost like it's almost like it fades into the background because we don't understand. You know, we don't understand the pain before the fight. Let's talk about that for a minute. Now, that's
0: that's the the core, right? It's right to the core of my message. Exactly. Exactly. Go ahead. Yeah, we have a habit in this. We've developed this habit of looking back at people and events of the past and judging them by the standards of today. Now, now let me let me interject here. That's okay. We have no other standards to judge the past by. But our own time, Um, we have values and we want we we want to realize those values in our own lives, and our own time. And we're disappointed when we look at the past and say we see slavery or injustice in the past. And we can it certainly say we don't approve of that. Um, but there's no purpose to be served in being rhetorical hanging judges of people of the past. Um, what we're called to do, what we have to do if we're going to be useful citizens is to understand the circumstances in which those people lived. And ask a fundamental question. This is really a philosophical question. It's a moral and ethical question that I think everybody listening should always apply when they think about their own life and the lives of other people, uh, people of the past. Is did that person or have I taken the world as I found it and left it in some small way a better place? Did I advance the quality of life for others? Did I establish a basic principle? Did I fight for right and justice? And if I did, then I am deserving of of appreciation, of understanding and appreciation. Even if I lived in a time of darkness and oppression and tyranny, um, if I could move the ball forward. And the American revolutionary generation, and I'm not just talking here about George Washington and John Adams, those familiar names, I'm talking about ordinary people of the revolution as well. They really did change their world. Before the American Revolution, no one anywhere, I'm going to make a bold statement, but it's true. No one anywhere in the world was free as we understand freedom. Uh, Even in America, which was actually colonial America, is one of the freest places in the world partly because the british government in say 1750 didn't pay a lot of attention to america so there wasn't a lot of imperial regulation being imposed on americans americans could do largely as they wished they were they were among the freest people in the world it's one of the reasons we had a revolution is that people had had a taste of what freedom meant and so so the the british efforts in the 1760s and early 1770s to impose greater re- Regulation and control of their empire immediately struck them as an infringement of the freedom they hoped to enjoy. But the middle of the 18th century is a pretty dark place. Um, uh, Slavery was legal all over the American colony. It was legal from Canada to to the tip of Argentina. The Americas were peopled in the 16th, 17th and 18th century by millions of people in bondage. They were either slaves brought over from Africa against their will or indentured servants. Most of the the white settlers of the Americas came over as indentured servants. Um, They weren't enslaved, but their freedom was, you know, was largely sacrificed. Uh, They they were sold essentially, and they could be bought and sold for periods for a period of years uh, while they served their master. Now, Unlike chattel slaves, unlike African American slaves uh, who were slaves for life and their children were slaves from birth, indentured servants could secure their freedom after a term of years. But often people in the harsh conditions that they lived in in the 18th century, the late 17th century, especially, they would die before, you know, of overwork and exhaustion and disease before they ever tasted freedom.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, most of the people who came to America in the 17th and 18th century, the, the people we ima- we think of when we think of colonial Americans, most of them came over in some form of bondage. Um, and that's how, how the Americans were people. They were peopled yeah. by people in chains. Um, the American revolutionaries imagined freedom. Now, they didn't invent the idea. The concepts of freedom I talked about, liberty, equality, natural rights, those have been talked about for a generation, for more than a generation, by political philosophers and coffeehouse radicals sitting around talking about ideas in Europe. But nowhere in the world had anyone made those principles the basis of a new kind of public life. That's what the American revolutionaries did. They threw off British control and declared their independence. But if they had continued being a monarchical society, and think about this, everybody in the world, more or less, everybody in the world in 1775 was ruled by a king, or an emperor, or a czar, or a hereditary chief, or someone who who ruled over them by some hereditary claim. Typically, uh, always in an autocratic fashion. There were no liberal democratic institutions. Um, yeah, we can look back at Parliament or similar institutions and, and imagine that these are the precursors of modern democratically elected legislatures, and they are, but they were incredibly undemocratic. Um, Parliament, for example, the House yeah. of Commons, right, which which we're taught in school, remember, is sort of like, oh, well, our House of Representatives is like the House of Commons. Nonsense. Mm-hmm. To every high school teacher, every middle school teacher who teaches their students that are getting that out of the textbook, stop telling your students that. The House of Commons um, was made up of people most of whom were clients they were they of more powerful aristocrats of, of lords who members of the house uh, of lords um they were they were indeed elected but in many places over long periods of time those were one party if you will one candidate elections for over the the, the, the parliamentary seats for nottingham everybody remembers nottingham right from robin hood lives in nottingham Yeah. Nottinghamshire had two members of parliament in the old in, in the 18th century parliament. Their seats, those seats, yes, they were periodic elections. They went uncontested for a hundred years. Can you imagine a congressional election in which only one candidate is proposed in a, in a congressional district for a century?
1: No, I cannot. I mean, we're we're already trying to rethink some of what we've put in place. I mean, this dialogue now, which has us be labeled, what is the word that I heard the other day? You're undemocratic if you challenge the length of time somebody should be in the Supreme Court. I, I, did we make this up so we could live and die by the sword in this? Or are we here to really look at what we need to achieve true freedom? And even if it means making adjustments, but it's like you said, I mean, there are some of these governments and you just pointed one out that you really live and die by that election or or by that process. You know, there are people put in place that you have no chance of really removing. And you know, it really questions the, it it puts a question mark in a lot of minds of people on is that true freedom? Do I really have the freedom to choose? Um, And I want to ask you this. I mean, you've been in Washington DC, you look, this has been, if I think about this, you've done (laughs) probably the top exhaustive research on this journey than anybody I know. But there's a reason you're bringing this to the forefront. Before we continue, Jack, look, how do people find out more about this? Because this is a short interview, and there's much more in the book. There's much more to learn. What is the best way for people to find out more? How did they get a copy of the book? It's on Amazon, right?
0: The book is on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's on all the online outlets. Um, It's in in many bookstores. Uh, It's a big book. Um, Some of your readers, at least my age, uh, may remember the old in the 1960s, big illustrated American yeah. heritage. I had wonderful yeah. books, American Heritage Picture History of the Civil Wars. Yeah. I, and I grew up on those books. And a lot of people my age did. Um, and when I set out to write this book, and this is a book for ordinary educated Americans. Um, it's by which I mean, I think a high school student can handle this book. Um, I think you know anybody beyond that, uh, the concepts are are not, are, you know yeah? You know, th- this is not a, a work of, of deep philosophy, although it leans on philosophers of, and historians of philosophy. Um, this, this is a narrative. This is a, a story of how America fought and won its freedom, how ordinary people, not just Jefferson and, and Washington and John Adams, mm-hmm. how ordinary people aspired to and secured uh, their freedom and created the greatest republic uh, in the history of the world. Um recognizing that we have a long way to go to fulfill the aims of the American Revolution, its high ideals, its high principles. Um, we have a problem today. We want to reject those principles, uh, or many people do. They want to say the American Revolution was, you know, didn't achieve what all that we wish it had achieved. And therefore we need to start over. No, we don't the revolution articulated very fundamental basic universal ideals our job as is to fulfill those that's been the job of every generation of americans since the revolution
1: Yeah. It's so much easier, Jack. Look, I want to stay with what you just said for a minute, because it's so much easier to throw everything out. And, you know, I, I was told by one of my mentors, wow, like a really long time ago, anytime you hear somebody want to just erase something and start over, it's really a distraction. And it's a way for us to step back a hundred years. I mean, whatever he told me that I never forgot, but I want to stay with what you've said, because if we follow this pathway, If we follow the pathway and we fulfill the words, the intentions, then you and I are not sitting here today, and I'm in front of 3,000 women, and I say to them, do you know in the United States you don't have equal rights? How many of you know that? And like 10 people raised their hand. You see, there are things we can do. We just are not doing them. I mean, if we follow the message that you have and we really look at what the end would be like, then what I think happens is we don't believe we're already there. You see, I think we have this sense we're already there, like we're done, like Jack, we're done. We've achieved. When we haven't. All we have to do is drive down the street in Plainfield, New Jersey, where I graduated high school. I just went to my high school reunion. But how do we influence? See, this is what I love about what you've done. Because the hardest thing that I do, especially when I work with women, is have a sense of how do I ignite a spark to say, I don't think you know what you have. And I don't think you know what you don't have. Now, I'm not not talking about, I happen to work with women, women of all color, women of all race. That just happens to be my field. I'm not excluding men. Because I think both men and women are absolutely necessary, always have been, always have been. But I really have a hard time these days explaining and demonstrating we're not done yet. Do you see what I mean? But we think we're done. I don't know. Has that been propaganda? What 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 has made us, Jack, think we're done? Or or the opposite? that we've done nothing.
0: <laughs> well, both of those are, 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 are common common problems today in the way people yeah. think. Um, it, it's easy to look at where we are, where we've been and say, well, we're imperfect. And therefore, people who articulate I- principles, fundamental principles are somehow hypocritical. You know, they don't actually live out those ideals. Um, let me take you back. To the to the fundamental statement of principle in American history, yeah, which really is our Declaration of Independence, which I quoted earlier. Um, people can point to that today and are commonly today saying, "Well, these you know, a lot of the people who signed this declaration, the man who wrote it, uh, you know, they held they enslaved people. How could they have said all men are created equal? They weren't even including women here, and they really did mean men. They did. Uh, they really meant men. They were talking." They weren't you when they said all men are created equal, they weren't talking about all mankind. No, no. People, all humankind. But that would that's a limitation in their thinking. But it doesn't, it doesn't disqualify the fundamental truth that they're articulating for the first time. All men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are. Now, there's a statement made before that that I want I want people to think about for a moment. They say, um, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident. And I've, I've pondered that a lot. There's a section of the book where I talk about this idea. It's a philosophical concept, self-evidence. Yeah. The thing proves itself. And But as a historian, a person who deals every day in the real lives of real people of the past, I can tell you that there was nothing less self-evident to ordinary people in America in seventeen seventy five, than that they were possessed of these rights and that they were inalienable. That is, they couldn't be taken away. Their experience of everyday life was that rights were continuously taken away from them.
1: Yes,
0: all the rights of women, all the rights of enslaved people, most of the rights of servants, and now we've already we're, we're up to over seventy five percent of the American people. You know, toss out the children who don't have any political rights at all yet until they're mature. And that's only the boys. Um, And people who are disqualified in various places because of their religious beliefs, because religious disqualification continues. The actual number of people who are allowed to participate in public life, to vote, to hold office, is tiny. It's just it's 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 a a couple of hundred thousand people in all of North America. It's ridiculous. Um, They weren't hypocrites. They lived in a time of extraordinary darkness by our standards. And those are the standards we have to apply. A time where people were fundamentally unfree. And they, in that darkness, they cried out basic principles that they hoped to fulfill and that they did more to fulfill than any generation of Americans have done since. Now, did they get it, get it all done? Of course not. Are we still fighting to establish the rights of women, for example? And sometimes it feels like it's you know three steps forward and two steps back, and and that's been going on you know ever since the revolution. But the revolution prompted women, beginning with you know really smart women who could read. Uh, Those philosophical statements like Abigail Adams and, you know, who says to her husband, oh, by the way, you know, while you're, you know, asserting the rights of men, don't forget the rights of women. It's no coincidence that one of the great books at the end of the 18th century is written in England, but it's part of the same ferment is the rights of women. Yeah. The the, the movement for the rights of women begins with the American Revolution because it asserts universal rights. That asserts them for men. You know, but immediately, smart people, men and women, say, wait a minute, this applies to women, too. And, you know, people who held slaves at the time of the American Revolution, some of them looked at the Declaration of Independence and said, wait a minute, all men are created equal. This implies that, you know, that, that I can't continue to enslave people, which is fundamental to my, my way of life, my personal economy. Um. And people turned around and said, yeah, that's what it means. Ultimately, it means that slavery has to be abolished. And most of the founders, the leading founders, um, maybe not those who lived in the Deep South and who depended on hundreds of slaves to maintain their plantations, but people who did hold slaves, Washington and Jefferson and Madison, they looked forward to a future in which slavery could be completely abolished. Um, And the path to the abolition of slavery begins with the American Revolution yeah. I not just in not just here but but abroad too
1: yeah I think that's why I ask you the question because um, it's so easy to point back at history I don't care if it's the revolu- the American Revolution or something else it's so easy to point back and to really take a look at something that happened hundreds of years ago and by the way in some cultures thousands of years ago really thousands right but it's so easy to point back and say what it didn't do. You know, the challenge I feel, and I want to say, not, not the challenge, I want to say the level of accountability that I would love to see, and I think you too, is to carry this forward. Um, and yet we know that even then, as it is now, compromises get made. Compromises get made to take a step forward. I, I think if we all had a magic wand, and could sit with the Adams and have a conversation. It's hard to imagine back then what this took to get this in place to begin with. You see, we're not talking about today in the world of social media or television. We're talking about people that came together from different perspectives. And not everybody was waving the freedom flag. There were some people that were afraid, just like in today's world. But when you look at what came out of this revolution and i want to go back to something you said because i do want to talk about this part justice for all when we hear those words it is hard for us to remember in the world we live in today not justice for the people that can't afford a lawyer but justice for everyone you know we're talking about a foundational piece that was put into place I think to in some ways level a playing field, albeit it's not as level as everybody would have wanted it, Jack, right? I mean, you look back now and you say they should have done this and they should have do- no, they they did, they did what they could do to get this done because they didn't have the perspective of the world today. Just like a hundred years from now, you and I are having this conversation, and maybe somebody's going to pick up the archive and take a look at us and they say, Oh, those two were so far behind the eight ball, they don't even get the level.
0: That's exactly right. Right, People, what we pray for, what we have to hope for is that our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren are able to look back at us and in a, in a way, not be angry at us, not call us hypocrites, and perhaps pity us for our blindness. There are things that will change in the world of the future, I hope change for the better, that we can't even imagine now the people who fought and won the american revolution lived in a time of oppression and darkness and tyranny they didn't they had never enjoyed freedom and they had they they could only barely conceive what it might be and so when they articulated these principles when they fought for these ideals they didn't fully see where those ideals would lead nor do we see where many of the ideals that we embrace will lead but i know we do know where the principles of autocracy, where government which is controlled, sorry with government which is very powerful in our in everyday life, um, wherever that may be, um, and that is controlled by a limited number of people uh, um, the people don't choose or have very little control over choosing. Um, you know autocracies lead to tyranny. They do everywhere in all times, in all places. It's a universal rule. Um, and, you know, we distribute power in our system, in between localities and states and the federal government, partly because we don't trust people, right? We really don't. We, we, we think that you don't give all the political power and influence to one party. We have a, you know, we have different yeah. branches of our government, which are supposed to be check and balance one another. And we need to guard those, we have states and, and federal government, and there's a should be a balance between those and local and state governments. And then there's this huge, huge part of public life by which, I mean, the, the life you and I live when we walk out of our door, that government should have absolutely no part of it all. And the idea that a government should have no, no part of something was fundamental to the American Revolution, really the first important articulation yeah. of it. Government should have nothing whatsoever to do with what you say or think or your religious faith. Those are the basic principles of the First Amendment.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and those were new ideas.
1: Yeah. At the end and of they the- didn't call out. So, well, let's point this out, because there would have been there could have been a whole lot of other stuff written in there. I mean, okay, let's just be realistic now. There could have been, I mean, go back to then. There could have been a whole lot of stuff written in there that said something like, except for religions of this, 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 and this. You know what I'm saying?
0: Absolutely. That could have been
1: so written in there, but it wasn't, Jack, right?
0: Right, and and it's limited when it's first, when, the say, the First Amendment. Let's just use that for a moment. Mm -hmm. The First Amendment was adopted. It really, it only applies to the federal government. The Congress shall make no law regarding an establishment of religion. Um, most of the states, the majority of the states, had had established religions when during the colonial period. Many had abolished it. Some had not. Massachusetts and Connecticut, for example, had congregationalist establishments, and they kept them into the early 19th century. Yeah. The First Amendment didn't apply to them. It applied to the federal government. But over time, Americans thought, they considered, they fought, they protested, you know, the Baptists and the Methodists in, in New England said, wait a minute, we, we're not congregationalists. Why should we pay taxes to support the Congregationalists?" They ultimately won. And of course, today, ever since the, the, the post-Civil War amendments to our federal constitution, we apply the federal constitution to all the states as well. So and we would not allow if Massachusetts changed its mind after 150 years and decided, very unlikely, by the way, Right. Um, <laughs> Massachusetts and all states. Uh, that it was going to have a religious establishment, um, that law would be instantly overturned by the Supreme Court as unconstitutional. But it wasn't in 1810 or 1820 uh, because the, the federal constitution, you know, that provision, the Federal Bill of Rights, didn't apply to the states yet. Yeah. So it's a gradual process, um, and it, it needs to be conducted in a continuous, a sort of never-ending civil
1: dialogue. Yeah, we have to talk about it. Can I ask you about this? Because this is you said something really key. We do have to talk about it. And yet when we begin to approach conversations, we're either quoted by something in the Constitution that says that'll never change. Let me give you something very specific. And I know we have to go here in a minute. But there's a lot of conversation now, Uh, whether you're getting it on your Twitter feed or some other feed. There are two bits of conversation that's going on, but one of them is out there and yet people in general don't understand how the process works. And that's the electoral college. And the conversation going out there now is why do we have an electoral college when we fight for freedom in other countries and we don't enforce an electoral college on them? It's a popular vote. You know, we, we, we go to war and we support a country and we say, vote for your leader. They don't set up an electoral college. And when the feedback comes back, what it comes back as just, just so you know, is, but that's what it says we have to do. Do you think that the founding, the, the, the found founders meant for this to be so static that they they did not have the vision that the world will change, life will change. What do you think it allows for us to do? And does it really allow for us to adapt to where they didn't know we had social media <laughs> or TV. Y- you know, I mean, the circle of influence when in the time we're talking about was your neighbor down the road or where your horse could get you, right? But now we're so connected. Do you think that we are taking some of this so literal that it we're confining ourselves to a level of disempowerment that the founders did not mean for us to do? What do you think? That's
0: a that, there are a lot of questions in there. I know Betty, what you said. <laughs> um, what I what I urge everyone to do is to always ask the question about a law a constitutional principle. What was its purpose at the beginning? Why did, they, why did they frame the law this way? Why, in the case of the Electoral College, why did they set that up? Um, why did they think that this would be useful? Was it useful in their time? Is it useful in our own? Um, and it's the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. Um, I didn't make that up. Aristotle did. Um, that's the basis of civil dialogue. Um, let us reason together. You tell me what your argument is, what my argument is. Um, one of the things that I I articulated what the basic principles of the American revolution were, what the basic principles of freedom are. I said, I remember I said independence, liberty, equality, natural and civil rights. The last one I didn't talk about responsible citizenship. Yep. I didn't say democracy. That's right. And I didn't on purpose. Uh, Now, I'm not one of these people going to tell you, oh, this is a republic, not a democracy. This is a a, we have a democratic republic. But. Democracy is a mechanism for resolving conflicts and for choosing leaders um, in a Republican form of government. Um, Democracy is not the end all and be all. You know, a wise man in the 18th century said that a democracy is can can be two wolves and a sheep deciding (laughs) what to have for dinner.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um,
0: The majority, the message there is that majority rule is not necessary. Simple majorities are not how freedom is maintained. Mm -hmm. Ah, you see what I, what I just did there is important. I, I put the higher value on freedom, not on democracy. You put a hundred people in the room and what 51 of them want is not necessarily freedom. To start with, you have to restrict what the 51 can do to the 49, right? Um, so but you make, have to
1: factor everything else you said earlier throughout the show. You have to factor all the other items you talk about justice. You, you know what I'm saying? You know, I do. It, what happens is we tease like one phrase apart and we forget the rest.
0: Well, no, you, well, it's never a simple conversation. right? I mean, it isn't. If the Electoral College is there there are strong arguments for the Electoral College yep. that it defends the freedom and the rights and the liberties and the concerns and the interests of little places, of the Delawares and the North Dakotas, yeah. by exaggerating just slightly, exaggerating just slightly the influence they have in our public life. And yes, that means that New York and California have proportionally less influenced than their population might suggest they should have um, is it good for a continental republic to that the people of california and new york and illinois and massachusetts together can elect the president and everybody else can say no and and you know in other words do with our, the regions of our country matter our founders worried about that yeah maybe we're not as worried about it maybe as you say we're connected. We watch the same news. We're on the same social media. We we live in a single country. I would tell you, though, that I think there are large cultural differences, large regional economic concerns, and that those kinds of things are reflected in our electoral college. In other words, I think there are good arguments for the electoral college. I think that would be the subject of an entire another conversation. Another um,
1: book, Jack. <laughs> um,
0: I, 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 and and But what I want people to do is reason together yeah. and understand that politics, 100 years ago, Max Weber, that's one of the founders of sociology, um, he was an academic, but he went into politics, he, he, he was elected to the legislature, and it was very frustrating for an academic because, um, you know, he, his arguments, brilliant as they were, didn't always prevail. And he, and he wrote, he said, oh, you know, politics is the slow boring of hard boards. Um, and anybody who who tries it uh, had better be prepared to lose his soul.
1: Yeah, I mean, right. Wow. It
0: isn't, it isn't an easy thing. Public life isn't easy. Uh, and people need to be, somehow I look at our public life and I say, toughen up. We need to have serious conversations. And we're going to disagree with one another. And we need to disagree in a civil way, as Americans who love our country and want it to fulfill its highest ideals.
1: Yeah. You know, Jack, first of all, let me thank you for writing and bringing to the, I I, I have to say writing a brilliant book. Uh, It is a brilliant book and it is writing, but it is so much more than that. And I wanna get back to something I said earlier. I believe we have, and we're on the verge of forgetting a lot of things. I really do. You know, I've watched it over my lifetime. Um, People call me, what do they call me? They call me old school pop culture. So that's even like an oxymoron, but okay, I'll take it. So why do they call me old school? Because I don't want to forget what we fought for. I don't want to forget. But boy, I'll tell you, if people like you do not continue to bring this conversation to the forefront, it will be forgotten and overshadowed. And that's something we can't afford to have happen. Because see, I think that's the place that freedom dies. I think when we forget, that becomes the place that freedom dies. And you can trace that back to multiple cultures. Look, you know this. I'm preaching to the fire. You can preach it back to our culture. You can preach it back to almost every culture. When you forget what you fought for, why you fought for it, and the fact that You're not done fighting for it. And I use the word fighting. Some people like to, you know, I mean, I'll probably get a million emails from this saying, oh, Pat, you should be more collaborative. You should be more empathic. I am empathic. I am collaborative. But I'll tell you, I have marched in more parades. I have done what, thanks to my stepmom, I have done more things to really watch what happens. I graduated Plainfield High School, the home of the riots, destroyed that town. So there are some things for me, that I look at myself and I say, I wish I could be more like Jack. I wish I could find the energy and the time to really, instead of taking a poll of women and ask them, does anybody know that the equal pay bill just failed in the Senate? To really do something about it. I wanna ask you this question because I know you didn't write this book for us to simply remember my sense is you wrote this book because there's a call to action. I want to know what's in your ha- heart, Jack. Enough about mine. What's in your heart?
0: <laughs> um, I'm naturally, I'm worried, as many people are, and whether they've, they lo- locate themselves on the political left or the right, or they imagine themselves to be centrist in a time when being a centrist seems to be a very difficult thing. Um, I want to to renew civil dialogue and a civil dialogue that embraces the basic principles that have defined us. The, the person who is angry and protesting in the streets, whichever side of the political debate they're on, they are heirs to this great tradition of American dialogue, um, of American freedom. They wouldn't be able to have those protests and and scream at the top of their lungs and burn the flag and say we're going down the wrong path. If it wasn't for the brave people, men and women, that I write about in this book who won our freedom and defined what becomes our national tradition, they wouldn't be able to do those things. We have to yes, our country will change. Yes, our country will evolve. The founders expected that. They expected continuous reform. They didn't chisel the Constitution in stone. They would all, I think, the leaders of the revolutionary generation would be astonished 250 years later that we live under the same frame of government that they set up. Thomas Jefferson believed that a frame of government should be thrown away every generation and a new one created. James Madison believed that the Constitution, after he walked out of the convention, was a failure because it didn't include certain provisions he thought were important Alexander Hamilton described the thing as a frail and worthless fabric. Um, They didn't regard it as sacred. Um, They knew that reform was going to take place and that it was necessary, that times would change. But they wanted us to continuously recur to first principles, to the basic principles that had led them into revolution in the first place. Those are the basic principles that define us. They define your public life and my public life and the public life of all Americans. Uh, Yes. we, We need Americans to renew their understanding and their appreciation of our shared past. And by the way, it's a shared past. Frederick Douglass is my hero. I'm a white American. And he can be my hero as much as he can be any, anyone's hero. Um, George Washington is my hero. Um, Harriet Tubman, who's my hero. They, these are the common heroes of America. Uh, they belong to all of us. And, you know, we're in danger today because we're breaking down into, into tribes.
1: Yeah, we, we are of
0: of ethnicity and gender. And frankly, academic life is encouraging that, um, you know, people to think about themselves as, instead of as Americans and heirs to a shared tradition that belongs to all of us. It's encouraging them to break apart into, into their particular groups and to point fingers at one another. And for some to say, my group is continuously victimized and your group is continuously privileged. and. You know, and and often those are are very sloppy and ill thought out categories. Um, we need a civil dialogue respecting one another, our rights, and our citizenship as our shared responsibility for the republic, which is what citizenship is. Um, and 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 if we can renew that, you ask me what my passion is, what I care about. It's renewing civil dialogue. That includes appreciation and understanding of our past, our principles, and our hopes and aspirations for the future.
1: Chuck, I can't thank you enough. I mean, I knew underneath the beautiful writing, the dedication, the amount of work that you put into this, I knew there was passion and purpose. There has to be. And see, that's you, you and I have very similar hopes. My hope is a little bit more simplistic. Maybe I've turned a little cynical and (laughs) I've gotten older. I just would love for people to find that spark of passion again, to get interested in what matters, to get interested in understanding and reading your book and understanding the message, to really get educated and informed, to plan for and envision a future. But most of all, I want to get back to something you said. I wish we could find a way for us to have conversations. You know, these guys went into a room, a lot of fighting, a lot of argument, but they had conversations, didn't
0: they? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Conversations. Like, what's it going to be? How about that word? Do we change this word? Oh, it's an abomination. Oh, it's great. But they had a conversation. And in the end, they understood That what they had in common far outweighed what their differences were. We have to find a way to do that. And I hope by you reminding of us what's possible, especially in the world we live in today. I mean, technology is not our enemy. It could be the most amazing thing if we understood that there is something here that's important. And it's so easy to lose freedom. We just don't get that. It's so easy to lose it. It's so easy if you watch other countries, if you watch what's going on. I have a lot of friends in Canada, and we look at Canada and we look at their medical system and the fact that they're subsidized for medical. But in a lot of cases, you talk to some of my friends up there and they don't have the right to choose certain things. I hope your book gets in the hands of people, schools, educators, and conversations like this can be had. Jack, please tell us how we get the book. And last question, I'd love to know your personal message, what you'd like to leave us with. And thank you so much for joining me today um, in a longer conversation than I think either one of us planned. What's your personal message?
0: Well, to begin with, you can people can get this book on Amazon. You know they're now selling something like sixty or seventy percent of all the books sold in the United States, um, yeah. <laughs> and and while I while I use it like everybody else, um, you know I, you know I wonder you know the, will will the corner bookstore survive? You can buy this book at the corner bookstore if you have one left in your town, yeah. um, and at Barnes and Noble and at other online sites. Uh, work to understand the people of the past what they aimed for, what they aspired to, their hopes and their dreams. Appreciate that they were people like ourselves who lived in confusion and uncertainty about the world they lived in and where it was going. Um, and and try to put yourself in the, it's very difficult, especially people in remote times like the American Revolution now 250 years ago. Put Try to put yourself in their circumstances, not just Washington's, but the Shoes of the people he enslaved, the soldiers who fought under him, um, you know, the people, ordinary people who served in legislatures and voted for candidates. What did they hope for? Try to appreciate what people of the past hoped for. Try to understand them. Uh, If you do, you'll begin to understand why the principles for which they thought are so important um their individual stories which are often dramatic and 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 emotionally charged um generation after generation of americans have fought and died for to preserve the basic principles of this country uh, i drive you know a few miles from my home i pass by arlington national cemetery uh almost every day and it you know these are hills covered with the graves of mostly young men who gave their lives to protect not just our country, but our ideals, the ideals I've talked about. Um, All over the country, you know, we have a rich history. We have a history of service and of sacrifice. Um, We'll celebrate, and we should celebrate. Just don't, you know, go out to the local, you know, department store sale. But think about (laughs) Veterans Day, about the people who, have served our country, and Memorial Day, and people who have died in the service of our country, um, don't throw the country away. Um, generations, millions and millions and millions of Americans have loved it, have cared for it, have nurtured it. Um, it's our job to perfect it, to fulfill its, its highest aims. Um, that's, that's what matters most to me.
1: Yeah. Jack, thank you so much for everything you're doing thank you much you know i can't tell you how much gratitude i have for you and for um how much time and effort people may not understand the amount of dedication and work that went into this book it's not just a book it's a life journey thank you so much for everything you're doing to to help us remember well thank you, you
0: thank you very much
1: all right hey everybody let's take a short break we'll be right back